are listening to Hands at Work Audio. For going deeper on the 14th of July 2017, George Stamen spoke on the subject of doctrine and how it shapes us. I'm going to talk to you guys about a word that became deeply, deeply, unfortunately, became nearly like a swear word, uh, a word that we speak about with, it hurts me very much my heart, but we speak about even as if it's rubbish. And I want to speak to you guys about doctrine. Doctrine. Because I believe that in hands at work, and I'm speaking mainly to hands at work here, um, in hands at work, if we don't have sound doctrine that we really, really understand, I promise you we will not survive. We might actually grow and become a flourishing international NGO. But this thing that we fought for, this thing that the last 20 years, the majority guys in this room have given up their careers and many other things, this very thing will be lost. It will be. Too many Christians today, if you use the word doctrine, there's a yuck. In fact, they say it's a book that sells the least of any theological book. It's doctrines. Nobody wants to touch it with a stick. Now, there are some good reasons. Because some people made doctrine their God. And some people are utterly and completely useless. But their doctrine is perfect. So there are reasons why it happened. But it doesn't mean we're also going to be bad and throw the baby out with the bathwater. Now, whenever there's a good doctrine, which we've just read, there are always bad and false doctrines also. And again, how will you know the difference? How will you understand it? Well, the Bible is so full of it. Paul, or the, the author in Hebrew speaks very strong about it. He say, for example, do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. Guys, if there's ever been a time in a church where there are strange teachings, then it's now. Especially in us in Africa. But in a developed world, massively also. Teachings that, that dilute, dilute, change. Oh, that's just a myth. That can't be true. You will never want that. That's not what Jesus meant. All false teachings, false, false, pulling you out, pulling you further and further away. And you, if you're not standing strong, you will move away. None of us can resist this on our own. So Paul speaks about it. Jesus say in Matthew 15, Jesus say, some are teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. In other words, people stand up and they're passionate and they say, this is what we need to do and God wants this and people start believing them. That's why for us in hands, oh, we like that. That's what we need to question, critically understand. Because today there are many, many things happening that people with high profile and respected people are speaking about and people are following them. But it's man's commandments. It's never been founded in a real and Christ in a word. Paul warns us that to watch out for those who cause division 
and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you've been taught. Avoid them, Paul says, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, craftiness and deceitful schemes. This is no exaggeration. We know, for example, the doctrine of prosperity has gripped 90% of the church in Africa. I walked into a shop the other day and I started witnessing to people there. And, and, and three of the, there were four people, one lady ran away. The three that stayed, <laughs> the three that stayed, they, I said to them, tell me about Jesus. And they say, he wants me to have everything. That's what they told me. That's their most basic understanding of Jesus. Now there's some truth in that, right? He does, he does care about us. But he's not, he's not a guinea that you can polish and say, I want a bigger car, I want more money, I want everything. It's not true. It's a false doctrine. Yet, it's so followed, it's so strong. I'm just giving you one example of what Paul is speaking about. I was thinking about this thing that Paul was speaking. One of the false doctrines that people are speaking to divide us is denominations. How can, we, how can we say, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, and then say, but I do not identify with Pentecostals, Charismatics, and Reformers. I am this. How can you say that? Now, I don't have a problem, per se, with denominations, if it happens in a natural way, whatever. But I've got a major problem with church leaders actively speaking about other denominations as if they are a lesser part of the body because they don't speak in tongues or because they do speak in tongues. <laughs> just want to give us a background because what I want us to do in the next number of digging deepest, I want us to go into certain <laughs> doctrines in hands so that we can defend what we stand for and we can critically look at it and we can make sure that we are having sound doctrines. So it's very important for us just to have the foundation, okay? So there are lots of objections that people will raise about um, not getting engaged into doctrines with ordinary people like us. One of it is, it's not relevant. Experience is important. To put it another way, they would say doctrine is not practical. Now, I get what they say. <laughs> Because I feel often like that when I meet some people who are so doctrinal that they look at the way you take your handkerchief out of your pocket if it is biblical, you know. But in the meantime, they, are, they don't even know their neighbor's names. That is yucca. That's enough to make you vomit. Now, so I understand that thought, but it is incorrect. To say, to say doctrine is not practical, is to say that the, God of uh, the word of God is not practical. Because doctrine <coughs> is the teachings of God. So, we read in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, for example, we read this. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, which is doctrine, right? Remember, teaching is doctrine, so it's profitable for teaching, 
for reproof, for correction, for training, and righteousness. So that the man of God may be adequately equipped for every good work. How practical can you get? To be equipped to cope in your university and at your work and with your finances and your neighbor and temptations. You better, you better be deeply embedded into the word of God. And you better understand your doctrine solidly and deeply. Otherwise you will be washed away. People that struggle to understand doctrine or the teaching of God is people that have not experienced the joy when you pick up the Bible and you read it and you start jumping in your bed. And I mean literally. Something inside you just flip. You, you just throw your Bible down and you just start screaming because you can't believe what exciting stuff you've just read. If you don't know what I'm talking about, please, please, let's talk about it. You miss the most incredible thing. So, of course, if you don't understand it, the Bible will be something that you will carry with you to church. But if you know that that is the life-giving things that will guide you and prepare you and equip you, protect you, you will be deeply in love with that. So we know that doctrine <coughs> is both relevant and extremely practical. The second excuse that I could think of that comes a lot is to say it's too difficult to understand. And again, I've, I, as somebody with, this is par IQ, I'm here. So me who try to understand people and at most times I've got to really listen carefully and, and read the sentence five times before I understand it I get that doctrine can be complicated and it can be stuff and there's some <laughs> doctrines that they say are massive doctrines for evangelical church I still don't get but friends do we get the virgin birth who can explain the virgin birth to me who can explain to me what the resurrection meant? Who can explain to me incarnation, that, that, that God became a baby where his daddy had to teach him to tie his shoes? How, how? He, he was the one who went like this. And he was a milky, the milky ways with me. He went like this. And that was there. And the next moment, his dad said, one butterfly, next butterfly. Who can explain that to me? But does that mean we shouldn't teach it? Does that mean we shouldn't believe it? That's the very foundation. Friends, when people start explaining to you and saying to you, well, the virgin birth was just a myth. Man, show is over. The curtains are coming down. That's it. It's okay if you believe that. But then don't fool yourself and say you're a Christian because you're not. Because the very core essence of Christianity is that God became man, sinless, no sin, no curse. He had to be a separate blood, clean, no, no father. Do I understand it? No. Do I believe it? To, to, to my death, I, I don't negotiate it. 
When Christ became real in my life, that Sunday night in 1989, the virgin birth was the easiest thing in the world for me to understand. Based on what happened in my heart, that was bigger than the virgin birth. This was a virgin birth, man. I worked hard and played hard. I was a disaster looking for a place to happen. I really was. I didn't try to become better. I didn't try to be nice. <coughs> he exploded in me and everything changed instantly. And then he said to me, how can you believe in a virgin birth? I said, man, that is so small. If you know what happened to me. <coughs> so sometimes when you listen to people's arguments about the virgin birth, about maybe... Look at their lives and say to me, tell me when did you meet Jesus? And listen to their stories. That might be your answer why they struggle with the virgin birth. Because they might tell you, well, I grew up in a Christian family and I was baptized when I was three months old and then I, I did confirmation and that's why. Go and ask people their story and you will know why they struggle with the virgin birth. Baby Christians need milk. You can't speak like this to a baby Christian. Baby Christians need to know he loves you unconditionally. He, he died for you. He knows your name. He came for you. What you've done yesterday and this morning and what you're going to do tomorrow, no problem. There's somebody that I prayed for and spoke to last month. And this person kept on saying to me, I love everything you say but you don't understand what I did. And I kept on saying, tell me, tell me. And this person told me, and everything they said, I just said, that's nothing, that's nothing, that's nothing. Until we came to the bottom where this person said to me, you mean he can honestly forgive me everything? I said, yes, that person today is a 180% different person. When I came to the bottom and I realized everything is forgiven. Baby Christians need milk. But to become mature, you've got to go and dig in because you need to know the truths. If you don't know the truths, the wind is going to blow you all over the place. Babies get protected, but we now become mature. So let me just give you some practical things quickly to give you an idea just why it is so important for us to have sound doctrine. For example... The doctrine, I'm going to just give you a few simple examples, okay? The doctrine of co-crucifixion. What does that mean? It means, you know, Paul saying Galatians 2.20, he said, I'm crucified with Christ. You know that. That's why we get baptized, right? When you go under the water, what do you, what do you symbolize? Say, Brenda. I died with Christ. I died with Christ. Under the water is buried, right? And so when you come up, what do you say? I rose and I'm a new creation in Christ. So the, the, the doctrine of co-crucifixion makes us dedicating our lives to Jesus unconditionally. But friends, you people that struggle to dedicate their lives to Christ, 99% of them live the traditional Christian life. So they never... They never made that statement. Now, I'm not just talking baptism here. It can, be, can be in your room on your bed. But they never said, today George dies. 
Remember I told you the story of a Zulu man that discipled me. When he, when he got saved, he dug a hole and he invited his family and he said, cover this hole today because today you bury the Hezekiah you used to know. He's dead. You're never going to see him again. This man is a stranger to you. I know I might be your son or your brother, but I'm strange to you. Bury that old man that you know. Unless you understand that, you cannot dedicate your life. You cannot, you, you're going to go like this all the time. Knowing God does not show partiality makes us respect poor people, uneducated people, people that your race will look down on, people that your culture will disregard. But knowing the doctrine that God sees everybody equals suddenly changes everything. It doesn't, if you, doesn't matter if your culture like mine comes from a racist background. I didn't, when I became a Christian, had to go on a course how not to be a racist. That's what the world will teach you, right? A sportsman, when they go back, they take our sportsmen, they take them on a course how not to be angry, anger management. That's rubbish. You can help a guy for a week, he's back. How are you not a racist? You get to know Jesus, who say, I love George and Simon and Nikki and Carolyn 100% equal. I said, ha, oh, I love that. And that's why I love everybody. I don't see color. It's not that I went on a course. It's my doctrine that influenced my worldview. You speak to people. Now, I talk personally my culture again. Me and one of my friends in this room had a chat about it the other day, and we, we discussed it, and, and he said to me, it's so painful for him to hear when people from his own culture, followers of Christ, church, speak, and they still speak in such a looking down manner. And he said, how do they know Jesus? How can they say we know Jesus and we are like that? That's your doctrine that changed everything. Our hope for Christ to return, purify our lives. Our doctrine that Jesus is coming back means that we want to be pure when he comes, right? So that's a doctrine. Okay, so I'm going to stop there with doctrines. Now, I want to say to you that for all of that, enhance. How do we communicate that and how do we believe that? So one of the things, I just want to make a point quickly. When you look at the doctrine let's say, of salvation. You can't just take a verse. You can't even just take a passage. You would normally take, you can have a passage of 10 verses, that's the foundation, but it's supported by the rest of the Bible. So be careful when people come to you and say, do you know that only Israel and the tribe of Judah is going to heaven? And you say, why? I said, well, read this little verse somewhere in Deuteronomy. You can't do that. You've got to test it, okay? So I just want to bring it to you. So whenever we speak in hands about doctrine, test the big thing and see if we're right. So let me ask a question here. Who can think of a specific scripture right now and a doctrine that hands hold dear to <coughs> as we live out our calling among the poor? I've given you a number of examples. Who can give me nothing fancy? Don't try and think fancy. Who can tell me what... What is something in hands that you can say we are like this and in, in Psalms it says this or we are like this and who can think of anything? 
We are made in the image of God. So, so, so if my brother is made in the image of God, he, I don't think you know about our Bible study that Jesus we know, but that was one of our biggest points, wasn't it? People are made in the image of God, which means we respect them deeply because they were made in God's image. When you are like that on people, you rubbish God's image. So that's a beautiful one. Okay, is there anybody that wants to give me another one? a beautiful one. Isaiah, Isaiah 65, Isaiah 66, Revelations, it speaks about a time is coming where there will be no more crying. It says, no children will die young anymore. Ooh, we love that in hands, don't we? It says, people will not work for other people. People will not work hard and other people will benefit. They will work and they will eat of their own labor. We see that, right? Um, servanthood is a big one, isn't it? Who can tell me what scripture can we use in hands to, to talk about servanthood? What's our, what's our backbone scripture for servanthood? Who can tell me? That's a, that's a major pillar one. There's one passage that we always, I always read and I say, I've read it a million times, I want to read it to you again. Listen to what Paul say. Why must we be servants? What passage? Philippians Philippians 2, verse 1 to 11, right? We say, even though he was God, he became man unto death. He became a servant. And then Paul say, now you need to imitate Jesus in the same way. Servanthood is tough for some of us. For some of us, we've been forced to be servants. Now we are free. Now I say to you again, the Bible say, choose to be a servant. That's tough, right? Okay, are you guys still with me? Are we going to take this thing through? Okay, now I'm going to give you one doctrine in hands. And I'm just going to take a scripture and walk through it. Maybe it will take seven or eight minutes. But I really want you to start with me to catch this. Because I want in your personal life, you must have your own personal <coughs> understanding of your doctrines. And you must understand why hands believe what we believe. I want to talk to you about the doctrine of giving but not just giving. I want to talk to you about the doctrine of the grace of giving. You with me? The grace of giving. And I asked Daytona if he could put 2 Corinthians 8, verse 1 to 15 on. And I'm sorry if you guys can't see there. Um, so I'm just going to run through a few things with you, just to give you an idea where our doctrine comes from, so that you can understand. You guys okay with me? So I'm saying to you, we've got a teaching, doctrine, teaching. We've got a teaching in hands that we say we believe in the grace of giving. Okay, so it's different from we believe in giving. Many, I want you to hear me. Okay, please don't look here. I want you to hear me. This is a difference. Let me just explain to you like this. Many pastors on a Sunday will milk their congregation. God knows, and God says, you must give, and, but they absolutely abuse it, because the Bible says you must give so that the poor can have food in their house. By the way, tithing is for the priests and the, and the orphans. Did you know that? 
So next time your pastor preaches tithing, ask him, how many orphans do we exactly feed with that tithing? Okay, so I don't want to go too deep in that, but I want to just tell you, there's giving and giving. Now, so people teach, a lot of people talk about giving. I, I believe in tithing, by the way. And I believe in giving to my church. But I'm saying that there are people abusing the word giving for their own, and they fly all over the world and they've got fancy towns and they call it missions or whatever. So, I want to talk to you here about the doctrine of the grace of giving. Are you with me? So I want us to look at that because this is going to influence you to understand why we ask, how we do it in hands. The whole hands model is based on the scripture. So in that light, let's go there, Dr. Now. Paul is speaking here to the church of Corinth, and Paul was raising money for the poor church in the midst of a drought. Hi, guys. Don't read. Look here. <laughs> We're going to have the chance now. We just had a drought issue, right? We just had a drought relief program. It just ended this week, really, in a sense. We sent, Daytona's going to send a report out today about drought. Paul had exactly the same problem. In Jerusalem, there was a massive drought. And Paul went from church to church for years. You know, people quote how Paul asked for giving. But they never, ever, have, how many times have you heard any church leader or anybody else say, when Paul asked for this, it was for the poor people in the midst of a drought? You never hear that. Do you understand what I'm saying by understanding the scripture properly? Properly. And to contextualize it. So I want to contextualize this to you. Paul was speaking to, to the church of Corinth here. And he was talking to them about money that he wants them to give to the poor church in Jerusalem who is suffering in a drought. Now let's read. Now my brothers, we want, we want you to know about, what does he say there? The grace that God has given are you with me? To the Macedonian church. Now, Paul is speaking to the Corinth here, but he's speaking about the Macedonian church. Listen to what he's saying. Out of the most severe trial, the overflowing joy and extreme poverty. What, what, can, what do we know about the Macedonian church? They were not just poor. Guys, hello? They were extremely poor. You know what they were? They were off the ladder. And Paul is speaking to one of the richest churches in the world. And he's saying to them, guys, I'm going to talk to you about the grace of giving now, and I'm going to use as an example the poorest church I know. And I know only two things about them. Their joy and their crazy giving. For I testify, verse 3, for I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Listen, entirely on their own. Did Paul manipulate them? Did Paul hold the law against them? Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us. They asked us for the privilege to share in the service of the saints, which were the poor in Jerusalem. 
Paul say Macedonia, extremely poor church, was begging me and bugging me. Please, can we give? We've got all of this, but you know what? I'm going to sell what I have here because we want to give more. And I want you to, oh, yes, more. Please, can we give? Please, we want to give. Guys, we want to give. spoke to somebody yesterday in Scotland on the Skype who invited us to have a table at a conference and I said no I will not degrade God's call in hands to go and stand at the table at the conference and say to people hey would you like this pamphlet and give me $20 a month please I want you to ask me please can we share in a plight of the poor because this is grace that God has given us can you see the difference that's why we say we will not preach hands from the pulpit. We speak one thing from the pulpit. That's Jesus. Only Jesus. No asking. And they, verse 5, and they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping God's word. So we know if people first go to Jesus, they will give because They've been given. So we urged Titus. Titus went to the Corinth church. Since he had earlier made a beginning to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. Now Paul is saying to the Corinth church, guys, you need to cry for this grace to learn how to give. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, complete earnestness and in your love for us, see that you also excel in the grace of giving. And enhanced work, we always say, we've got an undercurrent, right? Economy. When you guys see Carolyn and I can't fix our car, you make a plan, right? Am I right? And that's why, guys, if you don't have a sound doctrine and you help us now because Dan pushed you, when Dan is gone, you're not going to do it anymore. Are we going to become all selfish fighting for position and salaries? But if you understand why Dan is telling you and he say, I want you to excel in giving, and in fact, I want you to give when you can't give. And you see, but Dan is getting it from God's word. And that is what Jesus did. Then you will give until you bleed. And remember, we say in hands, giving is not giving if it doesn't hurt. Don't bluff yourself. Don't throw five bucks at something and say, well, I've given. You've not. You've thrown the crumbs at somebody after your king gave his life. At least be honest about it. At least say I know Jesus died for me, but I am selfish. Maybe I'll change one day. But don't pat yourself and say, I gave five bucks, but you've got 500 in your pocket. And you know that guy needs 50. Let's go deep. Let's be honest about this thing. Let's look at our doctrine, because that defines who we are. It's very quiet now. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. Here it comes now. Yeah, here comes the crush line. 
For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Good Lord. Now's a good time to take up a collection, right? <laughs> I'm just trying to make it a bit lighter because this is so overwhelming to me that even four o'clock this morning when I went through it, my throat closed up and my tears, my eyes filled with tears. And I thought, God, I am the most selfish human being on this planet. After what you did for me and the crumbs I throw around my life, I can give a hundred times more in everything that I'm giving right now. This is life. This is doctrine. This is the heart of Christianity. Now, I skipped a few verses because of time. Every verse is so important in the scripture, but I wanted to show you guys quickly something else. Verse 13. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but look at this. This is biblical, guys. It's not, it's not Karl Marx who wrote this. Okay? It's Paul. I don't want there to be people who have and people who don't have. It's not communism. It's gospel. Don't you believe your political leaders? It's gospel. You can choose who you want to believe, who you want to listen to. In fact, I want to take it further. I'm going to tell you this. I've carefully looked at that. Ooh, this is deep. When Jesus speaks about judgment, and he speaks about the woes, and he speaks about punishment, he speaks much stronger to people who had and they didn't give than he spoke to people who did not shine their light. So people who were not Christians. He, he said the judgment would be more severe on those who knew the truth they had, and they kept it for themselves. Uh, go and read your Bible. But don't read it through your denominational classes. Read it through the Holy Spirit. There's more judgment waiting for us. The haves who had excuses in the name of Jesus and false doctrines and whatever, people around him had tickled their ears and said it's all right. Let me give you a few stats, and I want to make it very clear. United States is most probably still the most generous nation in this, in this country, in this world. And so when I use these stats, it's because it's the only stats that's available. <laughs> Other people don't have the courage to show the stats. But Rolf Winter, who's a very respected evangelical leader in the United States, said people are spending more money on bubblegum than on mission work. Christians, on bubblegum. They spend like nearly a thousand percent more money on feeding their dogs than on mission work. In fact... 90% of Christians in the United States spends less than $1.50 a month on missions. $1. But yet one of the biggest doctrinal statements that they would make is that we believe in a great commission, that we should go into all the world and make disciples, but we will give less than, and there was a footnote, Jesus said, and you don't have to give more than $1.50 a month. Can you see how serious this is? Now, I want to stress here, they are most probably the generous side of this picture I'm painting here. Now, don't tell me you believe this, if this is what you give. Your actions is telling me the truth. You don't have a doctrine. 
Paul say? Guys, but yeah, look what he's saying. I want there to be equality. I want you to give away sacrificially to other people. You know, statistics say the church can solve the, the poverty problem in the world, no problem. The church, not the government, the church. We've got the means to do it. Look what he's saying in verse 14. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need. But look here. So that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. You don't rob that poor person, my friend. You rob yourself and your children and their children and their children. You rob them because you sow selfishness and you sow anti-Christ, anti-everything he stands for. You want to secure your family. You want to secure a future. Cast your bread on the water. And after many days, it will return to you. This is what Paul wrote. Now, look at the last thing for our hands. This will encourage project support. <laughs> we want to avoid any criticism in the way we administer this liberal gift. For we are taking pains to do what is right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of men. So even Paul, right back then, he, he asked people like Titus, I want you to witness when I get the money. I want you to count it with me. He got other people. Wherever he went to churches, he said, please give me the most trustworthy person. Count here in front of me. Let's write it down. He went to Jerusalem church, and he took out and he said, here's the money. Here's the receipts. Here's the evidence. And here are the men that can witness to you that I've given you everything and that nothing was mismanaged and misused. So many people are saying to me, why do you guys have all the systems? And why, do you, why can't you just teach Jesus? And when, when churches give money, you just give food and you, you just... <laughs> yeah, let's all just be happy. The thing, I mean, that's my natural way, by the way. I can go that way. You don't have to test me on that. The problem with that is, it might, I don't even think, but it might last while I'm around. But the next guy, is going to steal half that money. And the next guy is not even going to know where the poor are. That's why we do it. We hold ourselves accountable, clean, as a testimony to, to God and to people. And we say, we will work until midnight. We will be overwhelmed. It's good to be overwhelmed. By the way, it's a doctrine in hand. Did you know that? That we say, we earn the right to work with people who are overwhelmed because we put ourselves voluntarily in a place to be overwhelmed. We choose that place. It's a privilege. Sometimes I can't handle it and I go to Dan and say, please pray for me. Nothing wrong with that. But I don't complain constantly about it because it's a sacrificial offering fragrance unto Jesus and unto the people I honor. When I meet with Gogo Esther in Zimbabwe in the mountains and she looks in my eyes, she sees a brokenness. She sees a vulnerability in her uneducated state. She look at me and she says, I can see this man is voluntarily giving himself up. And that opens the door for me and that woman to be like this. So I can have everything in control and decide how much we're going to do and be in charge. That's not our doctrine. We're going to stretch ourselves. But at the same time, if Dan see I struggle, and he does do it a lot, 
he quietly and publicly come and he fights on my behalf and he picks up my cups and he helps me. So I'm not saying, you know what I mean? There's a balance. Mm -hmm. But I'm prepared to take that place because it's my doctrine, it's my worldview, it's my understanding of what Jesus did, of what Paul did. Paul said, I'm a burnt offering. I'm burning myself up. Who wants to end their life and say, Lord, I'm here. And look at, look at my skin, it's still smooth. <laughs> I've, I've kept myself well. Look at me. Really? I mean, really? Is that your wish? Yuck. No, I want to be burnt up. There must be nothing left of George. That candle, when that light goes out, it's because there's nothing else to burn up. That's my cry, because my worldview is to come, the city where I'm going to live, and I'm going to have the nicest skin, and uh, I'm going to have, you know, whatever. <laughs> that city is coming. I don't want it here. It's coming, a dream. I have a dream of a city my dad is building. It's all based on doctrine and the word of God. I hope this morning stirred your hearts. I hope you can see how deep we are in God's word. I hope it makes you determined to go deeper and to eat that word and may, may the Holy Spirit really make you so alive in his word. May you jump in your bed when you read his word. May you give until people say, you did what? Honestly, that's most probably the place where we need to be. If somebody must know what you give, they must say, he did what? You're kidding me. Because he gave it all for you. Laid it down, man. He laid it down. It's huge. <laughs> he laid it down. Let's lay it down. The grace of giving. Thank you for joining us. www.handsatwork.org